0: Parshas Vayitzeh. Parshas opens up <clears throat> with the fact that Yaakov had just recently stolen the the bracha from Esav. He fooled, if it could be, he fooled his father into assuming that he was Esav, and Esav was so furious that he plotted to kill Yaakov. This was given to Rivka ben Avua. Rivka tells Yaakov to flee because Esav is going to kill him. And Yaakov runs away. When he runs away, he's 63 years old. He understands from his father's command that he's to sit in the Yeshiva Hashem Aver. He goes there for 14 years. And after 14 years, he now is ready to find his bashert, to find his life's partner. After a promise from Hashem, he goes to the well. And Perak <clears throat> opens up with that. Yaakov lifted up his legs ve'ilch arza bne'kedem, and he went to the land of Ne'kedem, to the land of Haran. After Yaakov hears from Hashem the guarantee, that he'll be protected, Hashem will guard him, he's joyful, he's happy. He lifts up his legs and he goes to Haran. Vayar, and he sees vine be'er Basade, he sees a well in the field. Vine sham shlosh tzon, there were three flocks of sheep roved simalei, sitting around this well. Because from that be'er, from that well, the flocks would give water, would be would receive their water, and a large rock on this well. Now, this passage is very lengthy about the details of the well and the rock, and that's going to be repeated a number of times within the next few psukim. The fact that there's a very large rock on this well, the fact that the various <clears throat> sheep flocks have to wait there. And what very clearly becomes apparent is that this well was covered by a gigantic boulder. The Ramban explains that even though there were three flocks of sheep, and each flock clearly had a number of shepherds and a number of watchmen, even though there were quite a number of men already gathered, it wasn't enough. They had to wait till all of the flocks had gathered. You had to have a huge <clears throat> contingency of men, and all of them together would heave, hoe, and move this rock off of the mouth of the well, and then they'd be able to get the water from the well, and then they move the rock back. Now, the Ramban explains to us that the reason why the Torah is telling us such details about the fact that there's this is large rock, all the men have to gather, etc., etc., is to explain to us the great physical strength of Yaakov Avinu shortly we're going to hear that Yaakov single-handedly does that which many, many men couldn't together do. And that's to show us that even though he's very tired from the path, from the derech, he just went on a long journey, he was so physically strong that he alone could do that which many people couldn't do. In any case, the next Pesach says, All of the flocks would gather, They would roll this rock from the mouth of the bear of as the son, they would give the flock to drink veshivah seveno per be'el makom and then they would return the rock to the mouth of the well veyom lehem yakov sees these shepherds gathered there he says "Achai, my brothers may einotem from where do you hail they said we're from horan said to them haydatem is lovan Achar. do you know lovan the son of Nohar. They say, We know. Now, even though Lovan was the son of Besuel, the Rishonim explained that Besuel wasn't well known. He had died at the time when Rivka was married to to Yitzhak, and he became either he never was or never became a person of note. So Yaakov asked, Do you know this Lovan ben Nohar, the son of his grandfather Nohar? And they said, Yes, we know them. Then Yaakov asks, are things well by him? Is it peaceful by him? Vayomu Shalom, they said, yes, he has peace. Rochel bito ba imatzon. And Rochel, his daughter, is here coming with the sheep. Now, the sooner is bothered by why the Torah is telling us this question. I guess, why is Yaakov asking it, and why is the Torah telling us? Meaning, Yaakov needs to know who these people are. He needs to know if this man who's besuel, lovan if that family is around, because he's looking for Rachel. He knows, that his basheret is supposed to be Rachel. He's looking for, he knows that Rachel's father is Lavan. So it's very clear why he asks, have you heard about Lavan? That part's obvious. But then he asks this question, HaSholom Lo, is it peaceful to him? Is it, What's doing by him? And the Surah explains why he asks that question. Because, In Roi LaOreach, BaLif Kodesh Oreach, BeSimchaso KeEis <coughs> Avaso. It's not proper for a guest to come into a house when the host is happy in the same way as if the host is sad. Meaning to say, when you enter a house, depending on the mood of the person, depending on his personal situation, is going to determine how you greet him, how you act initially. So the reason why Yaakov was asking this question was he wanted to know what was the matzah, what was the state of Lovin's household. Was it a good time? Was it a bad time? Because he wanted to know how we should respond to him initially, how we should walk in with smiles, maybe more somber. The point that the sorn is telling us is that Yaakov Avinu was very attuned to dera heretz, meaning to say it's not proper, it's not right to enter a person's house in the same joy and simcha when they're in, in trouble as if when they're happy. But the point that the sorn is telling us is that the Torah goes out of its way to tell us is because this was something significant to Yaakov, something he was sensitive to, something he was aware of. Meaning to say, he's coming to this house, he's never been there before, he's certainly a very famous individual. The last time someone from his family came there was Eliezer, who came with a huge entourage, and obviously Lovin was quite glad to see him. Regardless of Lovin's personal state right now, Lovin will be very happy to see Yaakov. But Lemaise, it's not proper, it's not right to greet Person when he's happy, the same way as if he's sad. Yaakov asks this question to know. Again, the Torah is just pointing out to us, how a person should greet another person. Then Yaakov says to him, the day is still large. It's not yet the time for gathering in the sheep. Go give your sheep to drink, and then go bring them out to pasture. <clears throat> excuse me, basically Yaakov is now saying to them that, listen, there's so many hours in the day, why are you just laying there with the sheep, hanging out, give the sheep water to drink, and bring them back to pasture? Why are you being lazy? Now, this seems a little out of context over here, because what Yaakov is doing is not exactly derech heretz. If just a moment ago the Torah is telling us that he's a very sensitive person to proper conduct, to Derah heretz, what he's doing here is the opposite. Probably the first rule in human behavior is don't criticize. Don't criticize because it alienates. Don't criticize because it gets people angry. Don't criticize because it doesn't do any good. Yet what he's doing is he's being critical. He's saying to these people, what are you doing lazing around here? What are you being lazy? Go about your business. Go finish your, your flock. Go go finish the day out. And Srona sort of explains that that's exactly what he's saying because he assumed that these were workers and his workers were being lazy, and their boss was certainly wouldn't. If he had, the boss knew about it, wouldn't be happy. And Yaakov is giving him musr, saying, "Go back to work, feed the give the sheep the water that they need, and then go back to work, go bring them to pasture." And the question is, why would Yaakov say this? It's critical. It's certainly not a way to engender good feeling. It's certainly not mental. He meets someone, and say, "Go back to work." It doesn't sound appropriate. Explains the sorno hatsane gimmas esa Ovel. The tzaddik hates iniquity, hates stealing. It bothered Yaakov v. so to see someone stealing. I I, I can't stand it. Granted, it may not be appropriate. Granted, it may not be the right thing. It may not even be my place. But tzaddik can't stand to see thievery. He can't stand to see this type of sloth laziness at someone else's expense. And he had to say something. And he told his workers, go back to work. You haven't finished your day's work yet. In any case, the Pusik says... They said, we cannot, we can't give the sheep water to drink until all of the flocks are gathered, and all together we'll push the stone from the mouth of the well, and then we could give the tzon the water to drink. They were still speaking with him. Rachel comes with the sheep, that belonged to her father, ki because she was a shepherd. So as they're speaking, in walks, Rachel on the scene. Yaakov is Rachel, and it was that when Yaakov saw Rachel, bas lovan the daughter of lovan, the brother of his mother, v'son lovan achi'imo, and the sheep of lovan, the brother of his mother, v'yigash Yaakov, Yaakov ran up, v'yagal Evan, and he rolled the stone, me'apia be'er, from the mouth of be'er, son And he gave the sheep of Lavan, his mother's brother, water to drink. Now, there are two things about this passage that are interesting to note. Three times we're told that it's Lovan, the the brother of his mother. The Rishon explained that that was his intention. What he saw was his mother's brother, his mother's brother's daughter, his mother's brother's sheep. That's what he saw, and it was out of love for his mother, tremendous attachment to his mother that he did these actions. His attachment to Roho was based on the fact that she was connected to his mother and the fact that Lavan was his mother's brother is what motivated us. But what's interesting to note is that the Pusik says Vayagel. It didn't say Goldu. You see, <clears throat> earlier, when it noted that all the men rolled it, it used the lashon of Goldu, which means to roll, as if all the men would put their arms on the stone and heave, ho, and roll it. But gal is a different word. It's only one lamed. It's a different word, and Sifti Chaim explained it actually comes from like the word reveal. It's a different Shoresh. and Rashi explains the reason for this because the Torah is telling us that when Yaakov Avinu moved this rock, it wasn't difficult for him. It was kemavir esapkak me'apliat It's like taking off a cork. It was nothing to him. It just like moved the rock as if it was nothing. Meaning, this rock that many many men had to put their shoulder behind and really push. He lifted Gal, he just revealed, he moved it like it was nothing. And <clears throat> why is the Torah teaching us? Lodicha shekocha garal, to tell us that physically Yaakov vino was powerful. Yaakov Avinu was a mighty and powerful, physically strong man. In other words, the greatness of the Avos clearly is not their physical strength, but the reality is that they were very, very powerful, very strong individuals. Avram Avino faced the entire world force, and when the four kings gathered and he destroyed them, when Esav comes to fight Yaakov many years later, Esav comes with 400 men, 400 mercenaries that Esav had to pay out of his own pocket because Esav couldn't take a chance. He knew that he was fighting Yaakov. He knew that Yaakov was physically powerful. The only way that Esav would fight against Yaakov is armed to the teeth with 400 mercenary men because, again, Yaakov was physically very strong. And the Torah is giving us an illustration, just a sort of perspective on this. But Yishak Yaakov, the Rachel, Rachel, at this point, Yaakov kisses Rachel, and he raises his voice and he cries. The Rishon explained that Yaakov was a cousin, and he kissed her on the forehead as a greeting, that was a normal greeting at the time, and then he raised his voice and he cried. Yaakov knew that this was his bashert, he knew that he found the woman with whom he was to share destiny, and he raises his voice and cries out. Now that doesn't seem to be an appropriate reaction. Joy might be appropriate, happiness, but not raising your voice in a cry, which means, again, literally a a powerful, he lets out a he lets out a cry. Why did he do this? Rashi brings two reasons. One, because he saw Baruch HaKodesh that he wasn't going to be buried with her. At this moment, before he is to propose, he sees the future. He sees that Rachel is going to be buried on the side of the road. Hashem wants that to be so that Rachel could daven for her children when they're sent into exile. But he, Yaakov, would be in the Marist of Machpelah without Rachel. And that bothered him so that he raised his voice in a cry. The second reason is because he came via daim rekonos. He came with empty hands. And he didn't have a gift for the kalah, and therefore he was very saddened. Now let's focus on each of these, because I think each has an interesting lesson to teach us. Reason number one that he cried was because he saw that he wasn't going to be buried with her. Now, He realized that he was going to share destiny with this woman. He realized that she was going to be the mother of Binyamin and Yosef. He realized this was his bashert. So why is he crying? Because he's not going to be buried with her. And if you'd like to see just an illustration of a heart of a tzaddik, sensitive, loving, and caring, there's a certain romance that's lacking. They're not going to be buried together. A marriage is forever. In this world, and the world to come, and there's something lacking in his marriage. It's not complete. We're not going to be buried together. And that caused him so much pain that he cried. It's reminiscent of, similar to this, when Rav Palm was nifter, they say that that night before the Levaya, Rebs and Palm was seen ironing. She had an iron out and she was ironing. And when people looked, they saw what she was ironing. She was ironing Rav Palm's kittle. He was to be buried the next day in the kittle. She wanted it to look proper. She had an iron out and ironing it. You know, there's there's a certain attachment, real bond of love, real bond of marriage. It's forever, it's permanent. And Yaakov understood that there was something lacking for whatever the reason, and it was for a very good cause. But the bottom line is, there's something lacking. It's not going to be complete. She's not going to be buried with me. And that bothered him so that it literally caused him to cry, raise his voice and cry. And this is again illustrative of the sensitivity of a tzaddik, the loving kindliness, and an interesting observation. But I believe the second answer. Is equally telling. What's the second reason by that he raised his voice in a cry? And, and explains, Rashi Shabab beadim as He came with empty hands. And then Rashi explains to us why he came empty-handed. When he ran away, when Yaakov ran away from Esav, Esav sent his son Alifas to chase down Yaakov. At a certain point, Alifas catches up with Yaakov, and he says to Yaakov, what am I going to do? I can't kill you, but that's what my father asked me to do. Mefarshim explains that Aliphaz was brought up by Yitzchak, and Aliphaz was a tzaddik. But he found himself in a great dilemma. His father commanded him to go and kill Yaakov. He had a mitzvah of kibirav. On the other hand, Yaakov was an innocent man. So he comes to Yaakov, his uncle, and he says, My uncle, what can I do? My father told me to kill you. Kill you, I certainly can't do, because you're an innocent man. Not kill you, I can't do, because my father commanded me. I have a commandment to listen to my father's words, what do I do? Says Yaakov to his nephew, listen to me. Take all my money. There's a halacha that Ani Hush of Kames, a poor man is considered like a dead man. And you'll take all my money. You'll have accomplished in a certain way the commandment of your father. Your father said to make me dead. You won't physically make me dead, but you give me a lumbus, an halachic status of a dead man. You'll have fulfilled your wishes a little bit. At which point Yaakov took all of his wealth, gave it to Lifas, and left. There are a number of interesting points to think about on this. Number one, imagine that Alifaz comes back to his father Asav, and his father says, No, my son, Yingala, did you do what I asked you? I asked you to kill Did you do it? Alifaz, with a big smile, says, Tati, I did exactly what you wanted. Ah, says Asav, where's the blood? Yeah, a bone? Something? Give me some. Well, Tati, it's not exactly yeah, what happened. You know, there's a alumdus, an onihush of kameh, a dead man's like a, a poor man's like a dead man. How happy do you think Asav? would be to hear that. (laughs) I don't want a dead guy. I wanted a dead body. Meaning Alif was not really fully fulfilling the commandment of his father. His father wasn't going to be dancing with joy. But still... Somehow it fulfills, it doesn't totally disregard the words of his father, it doesn't totally degrade them. His father said to make him dead, this is a din of dead, it's sort of close, sort of similar, in a sort of way, it, it somehow fulfills a little bit of the mitzvah of kibbutz Av. But let's understand what this means. It's one thing if Alifaz is concerned to fulfill the mitzvah of kibbutz Av, and even though he can't do it fully, at least partially, somehow he'll do it, but who gave him this advice? Yaakov was the one who told him to do this. What are you going to do with the tzivui, the commandment of your father? Listen to me, says Yaakov, take the money, and the money you know, be considered in halacha as if I'm dead somehow, and you fulfill the mitzvah of kibbutz at least somewhat. But here's the point, Yaakov Vinu was willing to part with all of his money, his great wealth. Keep in mind the fact that he's coming from a very wealthy house, Avram's wealth, Yitzhak, his wealth, he left with quite a bit of money, he's willing to part with all of that for someone else's mitzvah, and that mitzvah isn't even complete, it's a partial. And this is an illustration of the tremendous love of a tzaddik for filling a mitzvah, even if it's not his own mitzvah, even if it's someone else's mitzvah, and he's willing to part with all of his money for this. And again, this is an illustration of a love for a mitzvah, a tremendous sidkis of if I can have someone else fulfill a mitzvah, even that, albeit only partially, I'm willing to part with all of my wealth for that, doesn't they take it? Fine. But let's see what happens then. Now, Yaakov is no longer a wealthy man. He comes to meet his kala, and he finds himself penniless, and he can't give her a gift, and therefore he raises his voice crying. He says, look, when the servant of my father, when Eliezer came to meet my mother, he came with ten camels laden with all kinds of golds and gifts and all type of riches. And I, I come empty-handed. <clears throat> he began crying, bitter tears. He felt terrible about it. Now, let's focus on this for a minute. What's he doing here? He's meeting his bashert. He's meeting a woman of unbelievable stature, of unbelievable piety and holiness. And she was waiting for him. We'll see soon enough that, Everyone knew what was supposed to be. Yaakov was supposed to marry Rachel, and together they were to share destiny. These people were extraordinarily spiritual people. <clears throat> Remember, when Avram and Sarah were married, they didn't know what each other looked like. So Avram didn't even, apparently the Pashup Shan Rashi is, he didn't even know that she was a beautiful woman. Obviously, it wasn't important to him, it wasn't important to her. If it meant something to their marriage, Avram would have noticed it. If it meant something to Sarah to know that her husband thinks of her as beautiful, he would have noticed it. But these people were on a totally different plane, totally spiritual, completely ruchni. These trivial little things didn't matter to them. So here's Yaakov coming to his barcherat, coming to his predestined, and he's about to propose. And what's the problem? He doesn't have a trinket. He doesn't have a ring. He doesn't have some gold. Do you think it mattered to her? Do you think it was significant? Do you think, it oh my goodness, ah, I'm not giving a diamond ring, I, I feel so bad. These things were irrelevant in Rahul Iminu's mind. These things didn't matter. But to make it even more extreme, why didn't he have money? So Rashi just told us. Because he was a tremendous tzaddik. Because he gave up his wealth so that somebody else could do a mitzvah. Well, here's the point. When a husband and wife get married and they're bonded together in this world, and in the world to come. They share this world, and they share the world to come. What he does, what she does, they share together. What that means is, what he was bringing to his kala was an act of unimaginable value. We now read about this to appreciate what a does, how far a tzanik will go, so that someone else will do a mitzvah. Could you imagine the value of that act for eternity? So granted he didn't have a trinket, and granted he didn't have a, a, a gold ring But he was bringing her this mitzvah that she valued far more. Why is he raising his voice and crying? As an illustration, imagine the following. Imagine it's the early 80s, and you have an opportunity to buy uh, stock in Microsoft, and you know that every single share of Microsoft will split, split, split again, and every one of those split shares will grow and increase and increase in unbelievable value to the extent that every dollar that you invest in Microsoft now could be worth thousands of dollars later on. So what do you do? You scrounge around. You you borrow money. You sell everything you have. You you, you go in the simplest sort of lifestyle possible to buy as many stocks as possible. And you scrounge together a hundred thousand dollars worth of Microsoft stock. And you know that within a few years you're going to be wealthy to an extent that's hard to imagine or envision. And you come to your caller and you explain to her exactly what you have in your portfolio. Granted, it's only $100,000 now, but in 20 years, and 30 years, it's going to be worth so many millions, you won't even be able to count it. And assuming that she shares your vision, and assuming that she recognizes reality as you do, would it trouble her the fact that right now she doesn't have? Well, maybe it would because she's still flesh and, and blood, but this is Rachel Menu. And I believe this Rashi is very illustrative of the sensitivity of its tzaddik. Even though to Rachel was not a big deal, and even though he was giving her something of even greater value, Lamai said, it's not, f- not fine, it's not nice. I'm coming to the Kala empty-handed, I'm coming without a, without a gift. Is it a big deal? Is it significant to us? Certainly not. But Lamai said, it's lacking in fine-kite, it's lacking in, in shame-kite. It's not right, it's not proper, it's not classy. And because he was acting in a way that was improper, on some small level, and even though he had no choice, he felt so troubled that he raised his voice and cried, Vayisa kol v'yev. Again, just an in- illustration of the greatness of the person, the sensitivity of the person. He's coming to his kala with empty hands. The next pasik says that he is the brother of a father, meaning it's related to ben Rifkahu, and that he is the son of Rivka. And she ran and told her father. The Rishon explained that. He explained to her that he's from the father's house, that she should know that the reason why he kissed her was still appropriate and proper. And she went and told to her father, hi kishmo loven shema When Lovan heard the name Yaakov, Achoso, the son of his sister, he ran out to greet him, lo, and Lovan hugged him, lo, and Lovan kissed him, and Lovan brought Yaakov to his house, by Sapa, is called and has told over to Lavin all of these things. Now, Rashi on this posseg is very illustrative because these actions don't seem appropriate to loven for Lovan to run out, for Loavon to hug Yaakov, for Lovan to kiss him. Why he's going through all these extreme emotions? Explains Rashi that Lovan remembered very well when Eliezer came, when Eliezer came and brought tremendous wealth to the house of Esuel and Lavan. Lavan knew that this is Yaakov from the same house. He heard the name Yaakov. He runs out greeting him, expecting to see wealth. No camels, no entourage. So what does he do? He says, well, obviously he must have huge bags of gold in his clothing. He hugs him, but he feels no gold. Well, it must be he has diamonds in his mouth. He's carrying them, so he kisses him and sees nothing. Then Yaakov tells over as called all of these things. Why is it that he doesn't have great wealth? Because he gave it to Alifas etc. Va'yomer Lo'van says to him, "Ach You're my flesh and blood. Sit with me for a month time." <coughs> explains Rashi. In a moment, we'll see that Lo'van was doing no favor to Yaakov. Va'yomer Lo'van Lo'van says to Yaakov. Because you're my brother, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what is your price. You see, what Lovin was saying to Yaakov was, you have no wealth, you have no money, there's no reason for me to be bothered with you. Well, you're my flesh and blood, you can come and work for me. And that very month that Lovin was generous and allowed Yaakov to stay in his house, Yaakov had to work a regular full day's work for that stay. Finally, after the month that Yaakov stayed there, says Lavan to Yaakov, "Listen, why should you work for me for nothing? Granted, you're getting room and board, but uh, you know, obviously, you're, you're worth more than that. What is your price? Tell me what you're looking for." Well, Lavan stayed but us. Lavan had two daughters: Sheimakdola Leah. The name of the older one was Leah. Rachel, and the name of the younger one. Was Rachel? le'erakos, the eyes of Leor were red, soft. Torah Mare. And Rachel was very beautiful. Ifas Torah refers to the facial features, so the shape, the outline of the face. Ifas Mare, and it had a beautiful appearance. Now, the Siftei Chaim explains that Rashi is bothered by a problem. We're told that Rachel is beautiful, and we're told that Leia has red eyes. Now, it doesn't sound very complimentary. Is the Torah trying to degrade one of the most? The Torah is telling us, yes, Rachel, oh, beautiful girl. And Leah, she had red eyes. It sounds derogatory. It sounds like the Torah is insulting Leah. It explains Rachi that it's actually a shvach. It's a tremendous compliment. Why? Why is it that Leah's eyes were red? She assumed that she was going to be married to Esav. You see, everyone was saying that Rivka has two children, And Lavan, her brother, has two children. Rivka's two children, the older is Esav, the younger is Yaakov. Lavan's two children, the older is Leah, and the younger daughter is Rachel. Well, it's obvious. (coughs) is going to go to Yaakov, the two younger will be together. And Esav to Leah, the two older will be together. Because Leah assumed that which everyone was saying was correct, that she was going to fall to the destiny of being Esav's wife, she cried until the point that her eyes were red. She was literally constantly crying. And the Torah is telling a, sh- a tremendous compliment. And she was so troubled, so bothered by it, that a description of her is her eyes were red because she thought she was going to end up the wife of this Russia. Yaakov is Yaakov loved rochel Vayomer and he said, I will work seven years for your... Daughter Rachel, the younger one. Now, one thing of great interest here: the pusik says, Bitra Hak'tana. Now, Lavan has two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Why does he have to say, "Give me your daughter Rachel, your daughter, the small one?" Rashi explains that Yaakov knew that Lavan was a rami, trickster, devious fellow. He was very explicit and said, "Rachel, but don't fool me later by giving me some Rachel from the Shuk." Rachel, your daughter. Don't tell me that, you know, you have another maid servant who you also sometimes call Rachel. I mean, Rachel, your daughter, he laid out exactly, specifically, exactly who he was to marry. And still we'll see that he was bested in the, in the end. And the Yom 11, said, It's better for me to give her to you than to give her to someone else. Shava imadi, stay with me. V'yavad Jakob and Yaakov worked for Rachel, Sheva seven years. be'enav it was in his eyes like a few days, like a little bit, because of his love for her. Now, the Sunna makes a very important point over here, and he says, it was in Yaakov's eyes like a few days. Lavan asked him, what was the price you would like to pay for my daughter? And Yaakov volunteers seven years. Now, that, says the Sornu, was actually a huge sum. This is the mohar, the dowry that people give at the time. And <clears> the <throat> Rishonim explained one year was considered quite a lot of work, two maximum. Yakov <clears throat> Yaakov gave seven years, and in his eyes he got a bargain. It was very little. Bava so-so, because of his love for her, <clears throat> explains the sunnah, Ava michal esashura, love blinds. Yaakov's normal sense of business smarts, his normal intellect, was blinded. <clears throat> he so valued Rachel, so loved her, that it perverted his vision. He no longer had straight clarity of sight. <laughs> to him, seven years was literally a bargain. When the opposite was true, it was well, well overpriced. He paid much higher a price than he should have. Now, we're going to see that that's very important as we go into the story a little bit. <clears throat> the Yom Ha'akov Hava is Ishti. At the end of the seven years, after Yaakov worked and he's ready to get married, he says, Give me my wife, Kim the days are filled. now it's time for me to, to marry her. Vayas of Lovan is Love and gathered together all the people of the place, Vayas Yasmishna, and he made a party. Now the Dasakinim makes an important point. We see later on that when Yaakov marries Rachel, there's no party. This party had a very clear intention. What Lovin was attempting to do was to dupe Yaakov, and he realized that he would have some resistance. You see, Yaakov was a tremendous individual, and everyone respected him, everyone loved him. The townspeople who would be there might very well spill the beans. What Lovin did before this mishta was he gathered together all the people of the town, and he said to them, listen, my friends, From the moment that this person has come into our midst, all of us have flourished. Our crops have grown. Our sheep, our flocks have tremendously increased. Everything has received tremendous bracha. It's only because of this man. If he leaves, all of our wealth will be back to the old days. If we get him to stay longer, we'll become far more wealthy, far more valuable. Basically, after a long extended Speech and various coercions and threats, Lovan got them to agree to his plot. His plot was to get Yaakov drunk, and to place Leah instead of Rachel. And he asked that no one reveal this plot, and everyone play along with it. Now it's very interesting because the Sfarim have a custom today, <clears throat> if you'll hear at a bar mitzvah, or certainly at a wedding, you get the expression. Danzigkhenem explains that that actually comes from this time period. You see, the townspeople loved Yaakov and didn't want him to be fooled. So when they were dancing at night, they were saying "Hele, he Hile Hile, as in "He Leah, she is Leah, the one that you're marrying, the one that you think you're getting is not the one you're supposed to. It's not Rachel, it's Leah." Hele, he Hile Hile was basically their attempt to let him know that it's Leah and not Rachel. To this day, we still do that. In fact, the bedecken that we do at weddings is also from this time period. We un, The chasan unveils the kala to see who it is because Yaakov didn't do that. <clears throat> Yaakov got fooled. And we still have that custom. We still have the custom of Hile. The townspeople were brought into the plot and Lovan made this mishta. Next pasuk says, Vahiba erev," it was at night. Vaika has Leah, Lovan took Leah, Bito, his daughter, he gave Leah to Yaakov, and Yaakov lived with her. Yaakov, assuming it was Rachel, ended up with Leah. And Lovin gave Leah Zilpa, the Shifra, the uh, maidservant, to Leah, his daughter, as a servant. Now, Zilpa and Bilha were daughters of Lovin as well. But they were daughters through, not through regular women, they were daughters through pelagishes, through a concubine, so they had a different status than regular daughters. And he gave each of his regular daughters from a wife, one of the shivchals, one of these women, as a maid servant. It was in the morning and it was Leah. Yaakov said to Asiseli, What have you done to me? Didn't I work for Rachel? Why have you fooled me? Now the Pasuk is very clear when it says it was not in the morning that it was Leah. What does it mean? It was at night that it was Leah. What happened was that at night, Lovan swapped, instead of giving Rachel, gave Leah. So what do you mean it was in the morning that it was Leah? So Rashi quotes the Gemara and Megillah, and the Gemara and Megillah explains to us actually what happened. That this plot really began many, many years earlier. When Yaakov first met Rachel at the well seven years before this evening, Yaakov proposed they're getting married. Rachel said, absolutely. She knew that she was destined to marry Yaakov. Yaakov knew it, and she was fully in agreement. But she said, it's not going to work because I have a father who's a rami, who's devious, who's deceitful. What's he going to do? <clears throat> he won't marry the younger one before the older one. He's going to trick you. He's going to fool you. You'll never accomplish it. Says Yaakov to Ruchel, Aqiv anihu. Says Gemara, what that means is, it doesn't mean I'm his brother, I'm his equal, I'm his brother in, in deception, in trickery. <clears throat> says Rachel, can it be, can a tzaddik, is a tzaddik allowed to practice deception and trickery? <clears throat> Explains Yaakov, yes, quotes a pasuk, that when a tzaddik is being fooled, he's allowed to use the same system. And then Yaakov <clears throat> comes up with a plan. <clears throat> he says to Rachel, what we're going to do is to make sure that I'm not fooled, to make sure that... <clears throat> you're not replaced, we're going to create a secret code. The code was the three main mitzvahs of a woman, Nida, Chala, <clears throat> Hadlakas, and Nair. I'm going to ask you that night for the secret message. You'll tell me those three words, I'll know it's you. If the person there doesn't know those three mitzvahs, obviously I'll know it's not you, and therefore Yaakov came up with a foolproof plan. And in fact, he was Lovan's equal in deception, he really came up with a plan that was foolproof. The one thing he didn't count on was his own wife giving in. The Medrash explains that what happened was that they waited the seven years. After the seven years are up, Lovan makes this party. And that night he says to Leah, Okay, put on your wedding dress. You're getting married. Leah had literally not much choice. In those days, especially your father said to do something, he did it. She began getting dressed. And Rachel saw what was inevitable. Rochel knew that there was a secret code. No one else knew it. And Rochel knew that her sister would go to Yaakov. Yaakov would ask her for the code. She wouldn't know it. Yaakov would effectively ask her to leave. She'd be embarrassed. The bushu would be unbelievable. The whole town would be there at the wedding. She'd be thrown out from the Tzaddik's tent. And Rochel said the words, I cannot stand the embarrassment of my sister. I can't stand by and let my sister be embarrassed. And she gave over the code to Leah. She said, at night, when Yaakov asked for the code, say the words, Nida, Chala, vadlaka Saner. That night, Yaakov asked his bride for the code. She said the words, Nida, Chala, vadlaka Saner. It wasn't until the morning that it was Leah, because that night, Yaakov was fooled. The Raman explains that they were sisters, likely they had very similar voices, and so Yaakov couldn't distinguish between one voice and the other. She knew the code, he knew it was Rachel, it wasn't until the morning that, lo and behold, it's not Rachel, it's Leah. Now, the Danes brings down an interesting point, that in the morning, when it's Leah, Yaakov turns to Leah and says, how did you trick me? How did you dupe me? Leah said, what could I do? Yaakov said, but last night I called Rachel, and you answered. How could you be involved in Sheker? And says Leah, with all the respect, I, I learned from you that Atzadik is allowed to lie. When your father said... <clears throat> My son, is that you, Esav? You said, <clears throat> Esav, you said the words in a, in a manner that made it look to your father as if you were Esav. So I <clears throat> learned from you, I did the same thing. Explains the Dazekinim, from that, Yaakov began hating her. From the fact that she had pointed out that he had done something similar, that made him actually hate her. And from that moment, Yaakov had the potential actually to hate Leah. Now, that Dasa is very interesting to note. In the end, Yaakov didn't actually hate Leah, but a certain there was a certain sense of a certain hurt and a certain problem there. And the question is, why would those words cause Yaakov to hate his wife? Meaning to say, he had a problem. Leah, you shouldn't have done it. If you tell me you did it because your father said to, but how did you come up with a lie? The answer is, I learned from you. Those words, says the Dasa cause caused Yaakov to hate her. Why did, why did that cause him to hate her? If anything, it's 100% correct. <clears throat> she said, very good. Listen, <clears throat> I, I wasn't sure whether I could do it or not. I learned from you directly. And because I learned from you, that's why I assumed it was okay to do. Now, those words should have made Yaakov recognize that she was justified, she was correct. He is an ish MS. He's a very, very honest man. <clears throat> and he's hearing that not only is she correct, but that he himself did it. Those words should make him recognize that she's right. And should, if anything, not cause him to hate her. Why does it cause him to hate her? Well, the answer to this is that as great as Yaakov Vavina was, he was still a human being. And as the expression goes, getting it between the eyes. In other words, what Leia was doing was a very direct, very, I won't say offensive, but a very direct response. You did this, I'm doing exactly what you did. She might have been right, she might have been correct, but it's very hard to hear. <clears throat> it's very hard to hear that you did the exact same thing, and it's from you that I learned, and there's an expression in marriage, you could be right, or you could be happily married, but it, often it's not both. There's a reality that you might be correct, you might be justified, but there are ways of saying things and ways of not saying things, and even though Leah said something 100% that was emes, said it to an ish emmis, it had a certain tone to it that I learned from you, it's your ways, it's your, almost again, so to speak, in your eye, so to speak, like a direct almost offensive sort of comment and it caused a rift and it caused them on a certain level to be angry and if it could be almost to to hate her. But before we really focus on that, let's focus on the bigger picture here. And let's get at least a minor appreciation of what Rachel was doing, what she was prepared to do. For seven years, she waited for her husband. They had this meeting at the well many years earlier. Yaakov gave the simonim, gave the nidachal of and Rachel waited for her wedding day. She knew that she was to share destiny with this man. She waited and waited and waited. Her wedding night is coming, and at the last moment she sees that her father takes, instead of her, takes Leah and tells Leah to get ready. Could you imagine what this woman was going through at that moment? This was her bashert. This was predestined. The man who loved her, and I have to assume she loved him. The man that she waited for, the man that she was anxiously being prepared for for many, many years. And in a heartbeat, she sees that someone else is going to get her. But it's fail-proof, because that someone else can't trick me, because we made up niduch ha'levud lakas aner. At that moment, though, she realizes that Leah is going to be embarrassed. What does she do? she gives away the code, gives away this. I can't stand to see my sister be embarrassed, and she gives away the code. But Rachel, let's ask a question. You give away the code, and you tell your sister, Nida, Chalav, what happens tomorrow? Who's married to Yaakov? At the very least, your sister. But potentially, much worse, the next obvious step is, the reason why Leah's eyes were red was because she knew one of Yaakov, one of Rivka's children are going to go to one of Lavan's children and the other to the other. She was crying, crying bitter tears because she knew that she was going to end up with Esav. Well, guess what? If there's a switch and she now ends up with Yaakov, who ends up with Esav? Most likely you. Meaning to say what Rocha was doing in that moment was giving up her entire life. This world, the world to come, potentially to be married to Russia, potentially to be the mother of wicked children, instead of being the mother of the Jewish nation, instead of being the one for eternity to be bonded to this great tzaddik and bringing forth the shiftei kah, the shvatim, she was potentially going to be Ola to goral to the fate of Asav, but she did it willingly. She did it completely of her own free will because she said, "I can't stand." To see my sister's embarrassment. And if you want to see a woman dedicated to principles, this is it. A Sannik has certain principles and these principles cannot be violated. I cannot be a participant and my sister's being embarrassed. The bush is too great. I can't be a part of it. If it means sacrificing, if it means giving up, it doesn't matter. I can't do it. And we see what she was willing to give up, giving up her destiny, giving up her life, giving up her love, giving up everything she dreamt of. She was willing to give up because she had principles. Principle number one is, I can't be a participant in embarrassing my sister. I can't stand the busha. She gave it up. And again, she didn't know what the results would be. In the end, she wasn't destroyed, but she didn't know it. It was a very, very risky situation. And she didn't exactly have weeks and months to prepare. In a heartbeat, she made the decision. And this is illustrative of who the woman was, what a tremendous as she was. In any case, in the morning, Yaakov sees that it's not Rachel, but it's Leah. And he says to Lavan, What have you done done to me? I've worked for Rachel, and now you've tricked me. V'yomah Lavan. Lavan says, This sort of thing is not done in a place. To give the younger one before the older one we don't do, you have to marry Leah first. Finish this week said Lovan, work, just finish this week of the Mishnah, and I'll give you this one as well for the work that you've done for me, another seven years. And the Rishonim explained that basically what Lovan was saying to Yaakov was simple, you're right, you worked seven years, and you worked for Rachel, finish this week up, and I'm going to then give you Rachel for the seven years that you worked, I, you're married to Leah, and you'll pay me the seven years that you didn't pay me for Leah, you'll pay in the next coming seven years. Meaning, says, love, and I'm, a, I'm a tzaddik, I'm not a Russia. I, I agree with you. You worked for Rachel, and I'm going to give you Rachel. The seven years that you worked already will be for Rachel, and you'll, in a week you'll marry her, and I will, you're also married to Leah, well, you'll pay me an additional seven weeks, additional seven years of work coming forward. Now, from here, the Ramban explains that basically the 7 may mishta, even though Moshe Beinu was misaki in the seven days of, of mishta, what we know as shev brachas, apparently <clears throat> there was a practice even then that they would have such a concept. <clears throat> so again, Lovan was saying, just work this week, <clears throat> you'll marry Rachel right after the week is over, the simcha Simcha, <clears throat> you can't mix two simchas, <clears throat> finish this week of part of, of, of party, <clears throat> you'll marry Ruhul and then you'll pay me the debt that you owe me for Leia with the next seven years of work. Now, here's an important observation. This lovan was clearly a devious, deceptive individual with a very clever chap. Again, the, the first seven years was for Rachel, you, that already paid, work another seven years for Leia that you're going to owe me. Well, if he's a deceptive, tricky sort of fellow, why isn't he afraid that Yaakov will say, okay, great, I'll do that, Yaakov would wait the week, marry Rachel, and then walk out. Why wasn't he afraid that Yaakov would just leave? Certainly, Loven would have done that. <clears throat> Meaning, if Loven was duped, if Loven was fooled, <clears throat> what would he do? He would just walk out. Why wasn't Loven afraid that that's exactly what Yaakov would do? He'd wait the week, <clears throat> marry Rachel, and leave with his two wives. The Rishonim explained to us <clears throat> that Loven knew the nature of this man. This man he recognized was very different than Loven. This man was honest, his word was a word, and Lavan knew that all he had to do was get Yaakov to say the words, I agree, <clears throat> I will do this, and Yaakov would never violate his word. But the Kiddush is that even a deceptive person, a devious Ramai, <clears throat> understood that this person was different than him. There's a concept in psychology called projection, that our nature we project onto others. The way we view the world, <clears throat> we assume everyone else views the world, if I'm an honest person, I assume other people are honest. If I'm a deceptive, devious individual, I assume everyone is that way as well. And what Lovin was doing was demonstrating that Yaakov was of a different ilk, but completely of a different ilk. And Lovin recognized that this man was not regular. He wasn't normal. He wasn't. Everybody, of course, would lie. Everybody would say they would do something, won't do it. But this guy, he's different. He keeps his word. And to such an extent that Lovin was willing to let him take his second daughter, knowing that if Yaakov said the words, I'll work for another seven years, and Yaakov would do just that. And this just shows us quite how honest Yaakov was and how clear to everyone it was. In any case, the Pesach says, that vayas Yaakov came, Yaakov did that, V'yamalei he finished up that week of Mishta, as lo bito, Lovan gave to Yaakov, Rochel his daughter, lo leisha, as a wife. Va'iten loven le'Rachel bito es Billa shifchaso. Loven gave to Rachel his daughter Billa as a shifchah as a maidservant, servant, la to be a shifchah to her. Va'yavo el Rachel. Yaakov also lived with Rachel. Va'yahav gam es Rachel. Yaakov also loved Rachel Milia more than Leah. Va'yavo rimo od shavashani macherus. <laughs> and Yaakov worked another seven years for Loven. Now, there are two points on this Pasuk that are worthy to stop on. Number one, the pusuk says, Vyavogam el Rachel, Vijahav Es <clears> Rachel, <throat> Mi He married Leah. A week later marries Rachel. And then the pusuk tells us that he also loved Rachel and he loved her more than Leah. And the Ramban explains that the Torah is teaching us a tremendous concept here. explains the Ramban that by all rights, Yaakov should have loved Leah more. Why? Because he physically lived with her first. Explains the Ramban that it's the nature of a man to love his first wife to a greater extent, because he physically was with her first. He should have loved Leah more. However, because of the deception that was involved, because of the words of Leah, because what went on, the Torah is telling us the Kiddush, that even despite the fact that he lived with Leah first, he loved Rachel more because of everything that went on. <clears throat> and this Ramban, and other Rishonim say as well, is very, very eye-opening. Why? Because we could ask the following question. It doesn't seem to make any sense. What the Ramban is saying is, that because physically Yaakov lived with Leah first, he should have loved her more. And the Torah is teaching us a <clears throat> that no, he loved <clears throat> Rachel more even than Leah. Now, why would we assume that he would love Leah more than Rachel? For seven years, he worked for Rachel. All he wanted was Rachel. He loved Rachel. He didn't have those emotions for Leah. happens to be he was fooled, and at night, he thought he was with Rachel. He made a mistake. The reality was he was with Leah. tells us, Ramban, that by all rights, he should have loved Leah more because physically he was first with her. Number one, He waited for Rachel. Number two, in his mind, it was Leah. Just because physically he was fooled, why should he therefore love Leah more because physically he was with her first? doesn't seem to make any sense. And what the Rabban is telling us is a tremendous concept in the bonding process of marriage. If you look in the wild kingdom, there are many species that become pair bonds for life. Swans, different birds. Many animals will mate once, and when they mate once for the rest of their lives, they're bonded together, they do everything together, they build a nest together, they travel together. <laughs> in fact, there have even been studies that show almost this type of depression. When one of the mates die, <clears throat> you could see the other one acting in a way that's very <clears throat> atypical, <clears throat> very unusual for that animal. Why is that? <clears throat> because Hashem put into the animal kingdom, certainly certain parts of the animal kingdom, <clears throat> a bonding process. When they physically are together, when they mate, one <clears throat> becomes imprinted on the other, they become bonded as a pair, <clears throat> and now they're together, bonded, if you could say emotionally for an animal, <clears throat> in their nefesh bahami they become bonded. Now, <clears throat> some animals have that, some don't. What the Ravad telling us is human sexuality works in a very similar way. <clears throat> when a man is with his wife physically, that causes an attachment, <clears throat> it causes a bonding. And that physical act, used properly as a technique for bonding, will cause a man to be attached to his wife, and explains in Ramban that by all rights, because Yaakov, even though he was fooled, but he physically was with Leah first, he should have loved Leah more, there's a natural attachment, a natural bonding, and that's <clears throat> why the Torah is teaching us Chiddush, that even though physically he was with Leah, <clears throat> he loved Rachel more, because of what had happened, because of Leah, fooling him but i believe what the ramban is teaching us is a fundamental concept in how the human works hashem wants men and women to be happily married and hashem wants marriages to flourish and continue hashem gave us certain tools for that to happen one of the tools for a marriage to be successful is physical intimacy now the world at large grossly misunderstands the appropriateness the purpose and the function of physical intimacy. <clears throat> but physical intimacy has a result of bringing a couple close one to another. It causes a bonding, it causes attachment, <clears throat> it causes one to bond to the other. What the Ramban is showing us that when properly used, <clears throat> when used in the right context, in the right way, it can have a powerful, powerful bonding effect to the extent that it causes an almost inexplicable attachment, And that's ultimately how it should be used. And when used properly, it does create that, and it does allow for the bonding. Could it be misused? 100%. Could it be abused to the extent that it no longer functions as powerfully or as well? Possibly. But again, within the context of a proper marriage, within the context of an attempt to build a happy, secure home, it has that function, and that's exactly what it does. Again, the Torah is telling us that despite that fact, still Yaakov loved Rachem more. And again, this is an interesting illustration of how Hashem created the human and a certain function within the context of marriage. But I believe there's another point that's very, very telling in this Pesach. And the pasuk notes that, it, and the Pesach says the words, <clears throat> And he, Yaakov, worked with Lovan another seven years, Acheros. The problem is, there's an extra word there. Yaakov worked for Loving exactly as he said, another seven years. What does it mean he worked with him another seven years, acheros, different? Explains Rashi, <coughs> what the Torah is telling us with those words, acheros is, hekishon l'rishonos, the second set of seven years are connected to the first. ma'rishonos be'amuna, just like the first seven years were with emunah, with total compliance, with trust, <coughs> done with full diligence, ha'achronos be'amuna, so too the last seven years were done with emunah, with trust, with full, complete service, even though the second seven years came with deviousness, came with trickery. What Rashi is saying is that the second set of seven years that Yaakov worked for Lovin, he worked the same way as he did the first set, meaning the first set he was honest and he worked his full share. And the Torah is telling us that the second set he did the same, even though the second set he was duped, he was tricked. he shouldn't have worked the second set, he didn't want Leia, <clears throat> but <clears throat> because he agreed to do it, he worked Bamuna, he worked honestly, and did his full job equally, the second set as the first. Now this Rashi is very, very telling, because there are few people probably in the history of mankind who worked as honestly and as scrupulously as did Yaakov. Yaakov <clears throat> Navinu worked fully, totally, completely with honesty and integrity for lovin' to the extent that years later, when Yaakov runs away and Lavan comes running after him, <clears throat> says Yaakov, Why are you come running after me? <clears throat> and then Yaakov goes on to describe how he worked for Lavan. At night, <clears throat> I barely slept. During the day, I didn't sleep. <clears throat> Everything I did for you was with honesty and integrity. And when you hear the description <clears throat> of Yaakov Avinu's workday, he worked night and day. He took his responsibility to an extent that's hard to imagine. He felt it was his responsibility to make sure that every sheep flourished, <clears throat> that everything in the flocks were done right. And he worked Yoman Valayla, he didn't sleep at night, didn't sleep during the day. He did everything miles and miles beyond the call of duty. And the Siddurl Shesharim in Karakir Aleph, when he's describing what it means to meet your obligation to work for a boss gives this as an example to show to what extent a person should meet his obligations and the first seven years that Yaakov worked Lovim became wealthy beyond imagination everything flourished he gained tremendous wealth he became much more much more powerful his wealth increased dramatically because he had never had such a good worker and there was also a tremendous bracha in the flocks because it was Yaakov you know, watching him so what Rashi is telling us is that the second seven years were done the same way. Now, I believe that's a tremendous skidish, Why? Because, let's focus on this. The second seven years Yaakov didn't want. He was duped into it. He was fooled, tricked. There's plenty of room for Yaakov to be more heter. Number one, again, I didn't ask for this. I didn't want it. I do not want to be here. Number two, look how wealthy you became because of me. The first seven years, I did way, way beyond what I should have done. <clears throat> so it's good enough if I do the bare minimum now. It's gonna, Your inc- wealth is going to increase in my merit. <clears throat> You're going to become wealthy <clears throat> beyond anything you could possibly accomplish yourself. It'll be enough if I do the bare minimum. That alone will be fine. But not only does he do this, he does it with total and total dedication, <clears throat> knowing that both prices were not appropriate. Let's focus back on what the Saronah taught us. The seven years was not the right amount for Rachel. He agreed to it because in his mind it was a bargain because of his tremendous love for Rachel. Really, it was many times more than the going rate. Really, it was an extraordinarily high price. So now he's fooled a second time into giving what clearly he recognizes now is exorbitant. He's being arm-twisted, being forced to pay a price that's so outrageous, why should he do this honestly? It's good enough that I barely do it. <clears throat> it's good enough that I somehow eke it out. <clears throat> but you want me to go above and beyond the call of duty? You want me to work <clears throat> with total dedication? And yet Rashi's is telling us that the second set of years, he worked with the same emuna, <clears throat> the same devotion, the same dedication as the first. And I believe this shows us very interestingly what emmes means to a man. I gave you my word, I said I'm going to do it, love and recognize. If Yaakov gives his word, love and can trust him. And when Yaakov gave his word, he kept his word fully, totally, and completely, even though his word probably didn't contain the demand that I work, sleep in the field with the sheep, even though it probably didn't demand that he goes so far beyond the call of duty. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the reality is that honesty meant to Yaakov, I keep my word, I work honestly, I do everything totally and completely. And you see what a man's word is. My word is a word, no matter what it costs me, no matter how expensive it is to me. I said, I'll do it, I'll do it, and he keeps to it. I believe it also stems from a tremendous bitachon, knowing that if I agreed to this and I was duped into this, this is what Hashem wants. So with that bitachon, with that trust, knowing that I'm sleeping in the field with the sheep, The next seven years is obviously part of Hashem's cheshben, part of what Hashem wants. But the bottom line is we see what honesty means. We see what integrity means. A word is a word. No matter what it costs, He keeps it, even if He's duped into it. That's not my cheshben. I answer to a higher principle. My morality isn't dictated by you. And it's not dictated by your ways of conduct. It's dictated by higher principles. I'm dedicated to keeping my word to Hashem's approach and Illustrative of that is the way he did these last seven years.